0: Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials,
1: or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McKellen. People love to solve puzzles. A puzzle called the Rubik's Cube has been a favorite among many for over 40 years. It's a square cube that fits in your hand. According to rubikscube.info, it is divided into 26 smaller cubes. You rotate the planes of the cube until you get all the same color on each face of the larger cube. It's a challenge, fun, and you just can't put it down. The Associated Press reports that two high school friends, Carson Maurer and Sasha Thomas, love the Rubik's Cube. Carson and Sasha love the Rubik's Cube so much that they wanted to share the experience with everyone, so they decided to bring the famous puzzle to the visually impaired. The two young men join us to explain how they did just that. Welcome to the show, Sasha and Carson. Thank you. It's great having you here. Sasha and Carson, tell us a little bit about yourselves. I understand that you're both in high school.
0: Yep, that's right. My name is Carson Maurer. I'm 17 years old, and I'm a senior at Skyview High School in Vancouver, Washington. I'm involved in the science, math, and technology program at Skyview. I'm also a member of the varsity baseball and golf teams.
2: Uh, My name is Sasha Thomas. I am 18 years old. Uh, I'm a high school senior at Vancouver iTech Preparatory.
1: All right, Sasha and Carson, the Associated Press says that you both love solving Rubik's Cube. What sparked your interest in Rubik's Cube?
2: Um, In seventh grade, Carson and I uh, both went to the same middle school, and um, a friend of mine uh, started doing it earlier in the year, and um, I kind of became interested in it uh, because of him, and I started to learn how to solve it on my own. And then after that, me and him started a club, and I think that's when Carson joined, and he became interested in it too.
1: That's exciting! For more than one year, you both talked about ways for bringing the Rubik's Cube to the visually impaired. Sasha, your dad, who works as a rehab outpatient specialist for the blind at the Veterans Affairs Campus in Vancouver, Washington, placed textured stickers and dots around your house to figure out how to best help his visually impaired clients identify railings and appliances. How did you and Carson make the connection and decide to borrow some of the dots and place them on the Rubik's Cube?
2: Um... I think that um like I'm not sure there was a single like light bulb moment where we both were like aha, like this is a good idea. I think um it's always it's it's been in our heads for um quite a while. I think that I might have been talking about it with Carson and then we both kinda of made the connection at the same time. But I don't remember like a specific light bulb moment where um we just it both uh it sparked for both of us. Um I think it's just it's it's been in our heads for a while.
1: Okay, Carson, how did you and Sasha plan on the development of an accessible Rubik's Cube? I understand that it started with buying a generic cube puzzle. What's a generic cube puzzle?
0: Well, one of the first ideas that we had was to use different shapes like circles and squares and stars to distinguish each of the sides of the puzzle. Uh, we planned on using the laser cutter that we have in the shop at my high school to cut out the shapes out of either plastic or wood. But we ended up deciding against that idea because it was too time consuming to cut out the individual shapes and affixing the shapes to the cube would have been a challenge. During one of our development meetings, Sasha uh, Sasha brought with him a bag of different textures that he and his dad had laying around the house and we selected the textures out of that bag that were the most easily distinguishable. And what a lot of people don't know is that there are several other companies that sell Rubik's Cube style puzzles that aren't from the Rubik's Cube the company. These puzzles are often available at lower costs, and the sides of the puzzle are easier to turn, which makes for a better user experience. So we decided to use those generic puzzles for our project.
1: Great. How did you place each of the textured items on each side of the cube and keep them secure?
0: Each material that we chose has an adhesive backing, so it was pretty simple to stick them on or take them off if we needed to.
1: Let's see. A cube's got six sides. I understand that one of the sides had soft Velcro. A second side had scratchy Velcro. A third side had plastic squares, and that the fourth side was left smooth. The last two sides had both hard plastic and squishy craft dots. The Rubik's Cube also has 54 colored stickers. Sasha, what colors of the Rubik's Cube correspond to each of the textures?
2: Well, the, uh, the colors and the textures don't necessarily, um, we never had like a set, uh, pairing for like one color per one texture. As long as they were paired on both sides, we thought they were good. Um, we might have made like a standard, uh, texture to color, but we didn't have enough textures beginning out to make it so that we had, uh, enough textures for all the cubes. So, um, once we ran out, we would, uh, choose a completely new texture, and as long as it paired up with the opposite color, then we would use that.
1: Okay, Carson, why is it important that the textures are paired?
0: We designed our puzzle so that similar textures, like the two sides of the Velcro and the two styles of dots, are on faces that are opposite each other. When the puzzle is solved, this will always be the case. The scratchy Velcro and the soft Velcro will always be opposite from each other. On a traditional colored Rubik's cube, white is always opposite yellow, as are blue and green and red and orange. And this is a very important property to know when you're solving the cube, so that you know where each piece is supposed to go when the cube is solved.
1: Good. Having the textures paired helps visually impaired players know what's on the cube's opposite side. Sasha and Carson, you wanted to see how visually impaired people reacted to using the cube you two called the Washington State School for the Blind to see if you could bring the cube by and see how the students reacted to using it. You came by the school twice during the fall and taught six students how to use the Rubik's Cube. Sasha, what was the students' reaction to using the Rubik's Cube?
2: It seemed like they did like it, yeah. I think they um really enjoyed the challenge, something, you know, completely new. And, um... It was pretty exciting to um, watch them come up with different methods of doing it um, or methods of visualizing it so um, it would help them solve it because um, a couple of them didn't even know what a Rubik's Cube was. So um, one of the students even um, imagined the cube as um, like a computer program with a lot of bugs and each algorithm or step in solving the cube was like getting rid of a bug in a buggy computer program.
1: Great. Sounds like the students were very excited with the Rubik's Cube. Carson, how did you explain the puzzle to the students and the objective?
0: When we were planning how our session with the students was going to go, it wasn't actually something that we had foreseen. Uh, we asked the students if they knew what a Rubik's Cube was, and several said that they did, but a couple had never played with one before. It's kind of a difficult concept to describe abstractly. It's hard to describe exactly what a Rubik's Cube is to someone who's never seen one before. So what we did was we gave the students a solved puzzle, and pretty quickly they learned that you can turn each side and that the textures move around. And then we gave them a scrambled puzzle and told them that the goal was to get this scrambled puzzle back to the original solved cube. One of the students we worked with, like Sasha mentioned, his name was Edward, came up with a great analogy. He compared the puzzle to a buggy computer program, and he had to debug the cube to get it solved.
1: I see. The first way was placing the textures right on the original colored sites. The second way involved blacking out all of the colors before adding on the textures. Sasha and Carson, I understand that some of the partially sighted students say they would rather have the colors showing to help the kids solve the Rubik's Cube.
2: So each of the dots... Um... I, we, we really didn't have much of a choice, uh, in choosing what the dots and the textures were because of the limited supply. So if we could color coordinate each of the dots, then we probably would. However, we weren't, um, we didn't have enough textures and enough options to color coordinate them. So we just used what we had and um so they're not color coordinated but they're not all the same color either some of them are see-through some of them are orange some of them are different colors but they don't cover the uh stickers of the cube completely so it's still pretty easy to identify what the color is um behind the texture if you have some vision
1: Uh uh-huh if the dots are white and background black I was curious if the contrast might be helpful for some players that are partially sighted.
0: Yeah, so we have two different colors of dots. The hard dots are orange and the soft dots are green. Uh, And we chose those because they're, one, easily distinguishable against the black background of the cube. And two, they're distinguishable from each other so that the partially sighted students could differentiate the two.
1: Right on. Two Washington State School for the Blind staff members, the director of on-campus program, Sean McCormick, and superintendent, Scott McCallum, gave rave reviews on the accessible Rubik's Cube. What were their reviews of the cube? Mr. McCormick and Mr. McCallum
0: really loved the idea, and they were very gracious in letting us come to their building and work with their kids. They, along with the activities coordinator, Adrian Fernandez, were instrumental in helping us plan the event, and we owe our thanks to them. They told us that the students really enjoyed the experience of being able to play with a puzzle that they were never able to play with before, and that was really what it was all about.
1: That's excellent. Where do you plan to take the Rubik's Cube in the future? Do you plan to show it to any more students?
0: Yes, we hope to share our hobby with as many people with visual impairments as possible. We've talked to the Washington State School for the Blind about teaching a new group of students in the spring, if there is significant interest. Uh, We had a great time teaching the students, and we'd love to keep doing it in the future.
1: Perfect. Now, you've also worked with the company that has created the official Rubik's Cube, right? No, we haven't. Okay. You both are high school seniors. Do you plan to work on the accessible Rubik's Cube while in college?
2: Um, I guess it just depends. Um, neither of us know uh, exactly where we're going to college yet, or at least I don't, and I don't think Carson has decided yet. So um, hopefully, um, yes, but it, I guess it just depends. We're not sure yet.
1: Making that decision takes time. Do you plan to show the cube at any upcoming blind conventions?
0: Yeah, I think that would be something that we've been interested in, but it's uh, it's never been on our radar before.
1: Awesome. In the group of students that you worked with, were any of them able to actually solve the Rubik's Cube?
0: Yes, I think we had two students who were able to solve the Rubik's Cube after we spent a couple hours teaching them, and... Uh, I'm still in contact with one of the, with one of them today, and she's really passionate about it. She really enjoys solving the cube like we do.
1: Right on. How long did it take the student
0: to solve the cube? It took, probably took around three hours of instruction time, and then she was able to solve it on her own in about five or ten minutes. What was the student's
1: strategy for solving the cube?
2: Um, so... Solving the cube for um, sighted people is learning algorithms. That um, Algorithms are just patterns on the cube that you perform to obtain a certain outcome. And so solving the cube ends up being learning all these algorithms for different patterns and then performing them to eventually solve the cube. So we printed out all the um, algorithms in Braille and then taught them what the notation meant and then showed them when and where they should be using the algorithms
1: what sort of algorithms were these? Can you explain these? So algorithms are series of
0: moves that you perform on the cube, like twisting the right face 90 degrees and then twisting the up face 90 degrees. And if you perform those certain moves in a particular order, you can achieve a certain outcome that you want, like swapping two pieces on the puzzle. And by using those, the students were able to recognize patterns that they saw on the cube and then perform the specific algorithm that would give them the desired outcome.
2: Usually, it's not one specific. Um, there's a bunch of specific algorithms that you do at each step. So, the first step was to make a cross on the bottom face, and then you fill in the corners. And then she used an algorithm. She used four different algorithms to get each of the, um, to get the middle ring. And then she used, um, seven or eight, uh, different algorithms to solve the top face and, um, by doing that, it solves the cube. So it's, it's not just one, it's multiple, many.
1: Good. There are Rubik's Cube competitions. If the accessible cube gets successful, will any competitions for this specific cube get set up?
0: Yeah, I certainly think so. I've competed in several Rubik's Cube competitions uh, with my own puzzles. Uh, and I'm not sure about the regulations about having different tactile materials on the cube. If uh, if the world cube association allows competitors to use those uh, but maybe if there was a a separate category that was created for those who are visually impaired i think that would be great
1: huh i think that would be phenomenal you guys have done a great job i believe the accessible rubik's cube has worked but was there anything that didn't work
2: well i think originally we had it set up so that um the Rubik's Cube had no color. It was just um, a, a black cube, completely black cube on each face. Uh, or Yeah, on each face. And then just the textures. And then um, we brought that to my dad, who gave us some advice. And um, originally, we assumed that all the students that we'd be teaching uh, would be almost or completely blind and would have no uh, uh, color sensitivity. but through my dad, he told us that not all the people that uh, we might be teaching would be fully blind. So we decided to put the colors back on. And I think that was probably the biggest improvement that we did. And I think that um, had we gone through with our original idea of just the completely black cube, it probably wouldn't have been received as well. Because I know that, I think four out of six of the students we taught, or maybe three had um, some color recognition. So I think that really helped.
0: And then another difficulty we ran into was in providing the instructions to the students. So the way that we usually notate moves on the cube is through clockwise and counterclockwise. But to someone who's never seen a clock before, that doesn't really work. So we had to invent a new notation method, such as like we would tell them to turn the top face to the left rather than clockwise. And that was how we had to provide instruction to them.
1: Okay. When you went to the Washington State School, did you present the cube after school or during class?
2: It was more of a an after school club type thing. It wasn't an event, nor was it really a classroom thing. We did it in um, the commons of the Washington State School for the Blind. So it was... Pretty laid back, relaxed. It wasn't like a classroom thing. It was just an after-school, you know, activity.
1: Great. Now, do you have any plans for making any new accessible games?
0: Uh, So here's something that I thought about, is that a similar principle that we use for the 3x3x3 Rubik's Cube could be applied to puzzles with more layers, like there are puzzles with four or five layers. I think that it would be an interesting challenge to make those puzzles accessible, too.
1: How do you plan to do that?
0: using the same method that we use with the traditional Rubik's Cube, using different textures rather than the colors.
1: When do you expect the Rubik's Cube, your Rubik's Cube rather, to be available to the public?
2: Well, we're not sure. That's pretty far down the line. I mean, our ultimate goal would be to um, try to give access, give people who might want to use this um, access to it, you know, across the country or, you know, around the world that would that's obviously our goal but getting there is pretty hard we're still um trying to get a patent on it and we're still talking to people so we're not sure that's pretty far down
1: the line that takes time these are just the first test runs for the cube how can our listeners learn more about the accessible rubik's cube
0: uh, a writer for The Columbian, Adam Litman wrote a really great story about the puzzle, uh, as well as Joey Harrington. He hosted a great segment on TGW News.
1: Channel 8 in Portland. I'll be posting up links to the stories up on the show website speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Is
1: there anything else that you two would like to add?
0: Uh, I'd like to thank again Mr. McCormick, Mr. McCallum, and Ms. Fernandez at the Washington State School for the Blind, as well as Sasha's dad, Mr. Thomas, for all their help bringing our idea to
1: life. Sasha and Carson, we hope that you continue to explore ways to make fun puzzle-solving or games accessible to the blind and visually impaired. We also hope that our listeners will use and try the newly accessible Rubik's Cube. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Before we go, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook and Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on Twitter at SpeakOutBlind or SpeakOutForTheBlind. You can also check out my website, that's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. My new email address is speakout@acbradio.org, And my show archive is at acbradio.org. Slash speaking dash out dash for the blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page. And below the heading that says Home Speaking Out for the Blind where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to Speaking Out for the Blind shows ranging from episode 94 to the present. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out.
2: Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on acb radio mainstream please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org that's support at acbradio.org you are listening to acb radio mainstream connecting the blind community
1: of the same old survival reality shows that aren't too real? Ah! Then join me, Brian McCallen, on Speaking Out for the Blind. I interview real famous and inspirational blind individuals and other specialists about a real wide variety of topics, providing you with real steps to achieve your dreams. Speaking Out for the Blind airs Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern and replays throughout the day on Thursdays on ACB Radio Mainstream. Happy listening! Connecting the blind community around the world. This is ACB Radio.
2: Whoa, a new digital music player. Thanks, Mom. Oh, I'm glad you like it. Because I can't wait to toss the big stereo. And now that we got your dad that big HD TV he wanted. We can throw out our old TV, too. Hold up. You can't just throw out electronics. Really? They need to be recycled or donated. And how would we do that? It's so easy, Mom. Today, recycling electronics is just as easy as buying them. GreenerGadgets.org has all the info. We just enter our zip code to find a certified recycling center nearby. There are thousands of them, and new ones are being added all the time. Some of our local stores are even certified recycling locations.
1: I like that.
2: Did you know that some of the stuff on our old electronics could be used to make new products and conserve natural resources? Well, okay then. Let's gather them up. Um, what was that website again? Greenergadgets.org. We just enter our zip code and go.
1: Change a light, change the world. Can we really change the world by changing a light? All it would take is to swap a traditional light fixture for an energy-efficient one. Typical lighting accounts for 20% of the average home electric bill. Energy Star bulbs and fixtures produce 70% less heat, making them safer and helping to lower your cooling bills. That's how you can help change the world. Right in your environmental future. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. NASCAR
0: champion Bobby Lavani here with my brother Terry and my nephew Justin. You know,
1: every sport has its essential safety gear. For racing, we wear helmets, fire retardant suits, and Nomex gloves. For fishing, waterfowl hunting, and boating, we wear life jackets. After an intense race, there's nothing more relaxing than fast fishing or a little duck hunting on the
2: lake. But we're the first ones to tell you, on the track or on the water, accidents happen fast. In a crash, there's no time to put on a helmet. And when a boater capsizes
1: or is thrown from the boat, there's rarely time to reach a stowed life jacket. But today's life jackets are lightweight and comfortable. Fishing or hunting, they don't get in your way. That's why you won't catch a Labani on the water without a life jacket. Don't let us catch you either. Remember, you're in command. Boat safely. This message brought to you by the United States Coast Guard. For more information on boating safety, visit www.uscgboating.org.